Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. I'd like to teach you, uh, teach on the subject of your faith at work. Now, the 11th chapter of Mark is, um, in my opinion, of utmost importance because they are the most concise, direct, and complete things that Jesus had to say on the subject of faith. You remember the story in Mark chapter 11, how that uh, Jesus was passing by. It was the last week of his life. Uh, He had just come to Jerusalem, and it was just a few days before he would be betrayed by Judas and taken captive by the Romans and uh, hung on the cross. And Jesus came to a fig tree, and it had leaves on it, but it didn't have figs. And so he cursed it. He said, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And they came back by there the next morning. Disciples heard what he had said to the tree. And they came by there again in the morning on the same road. And and Peter recognized and said something to the effect of, Behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus recognizes the question, the implied question, I guess, of the statement that Peter had made. And so he explains how this happened. And so he said this, beginning in verse 22, Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. Another translation says, have the faith of God. We sometimes paraphrase that as have the God kind of faith. Well, if it is the faith of God, what kind would it be if not the God kind of faith? So you can see where we get that phrase. Have faith in God or have the faith of God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Verse 24, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, there's a couple of things I want you to recognize here. First of all, from verse 24, he's talking about you having faith for yourself. What things soever you desire, not what your neighbor desires, not what mama desires for you. Whatsoever you desire, it puts the individual on the spot. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So this is the the pattern or the principle whereby we receive for ourselves. That's a whole different ballgame when you go to trying to believe for somebody else. There's no way and there's no scripture that ever says that, w- that it would be possible for your faith to nullify somebody else's unbelief. A lot of times we have loved ones that may not know the word uh, to the same degree that we do. They may not have confidence in the healing power of God like we, like we do. And, and it's a very common thing, understandable. I've done it myself. I'm sure you have as well. That we try to push what we know and what we believe and the goodness of God that we found him to be faithful to provide for somebody else when they're not in the same place we are. And folks, it hardly ever works. Once in a while, you'll find a position where you can take a little bit of authority in somebody else's life and get something for them. But those times are few and far between. So it's talking about the individual's faith. Now, another thing I want you to see from verse 23 is that Jesus identifies time. 
concerning faith. He said, verily I say unto you, this is a true statement, true saying in other words, whosoever shall say unto the mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart. I want you to notice that phrase, shall not doubt in his heart. We can, if we had time, we could show you many examples of where doubting in the heart is shown throughout the scripture to be speaking words that contradict God's word or speaking words of unbelief that contradict the words of faith that you've already spoken. He's talking about consistency. Now, if you've got instant results in faith, why would you need to watch, about, watch so that you don't doubt in your heart? Wouldn't it be great if Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain and stay faithful for 30 minutes, not say anything to the contrary for 30 minutes, he'll have what he says. Wouldn't that be great? That still might be too long for some people, I guess. But when Jesus says, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, that has to be a reference to time. Shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. Well, if he's talking about doubting in your heart, guarding against doubt in your heart, then he's talking about believing in your heart. Has to be. But shall believe in his heart that those things which he says shall come to pass, shall come to pass, shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, if you know that something's going to take a while, if you know that faith is, is rarely an instant result or brings instant results, If you know that, then the preparation that you've made to guard against doubt in the heart and to stay in faith concerning your words coming to pass is of critical importance. Now, that's really what I want to talk to you about. The preparation that's necessary to see your faith through to the end is of a critical nature in the successful operation of faith. Now, I want to show you three examples. The Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. I want to show you three examples with that in mind of people that received what they wanted from God because of the preparation, the effort, the the position that they took for their faith to work. Turn with me to Mark chapter 5. First one we'll look at is the fifth chapter of Mark. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. Jairus came and told him that his little daughter was at the point of death. And Jesus said, I'll come and go with you. I'll come to your house. But on the way, it says beginning in verse 24, and Jesus went with him, speaking of Jairus, and much people followed him and thronged him. That means they're pressing upon him from every side. Everybody's trying to touch him. Everybody's trying to reach out and grab a hold of him. Touch his clothes, touch him, something. Make contact. And we have to assume that the reason that they want to do that is because they've heard about Jesus. Maybe they've been in other places where Jesus did miracles of healing or whatever the case might be. But we have to assume that they're trying to touch him because they've heard something about him. Otherwise, I don't know about you, but when I go walking down the street, I don't have people thronging me. Do you? And it wouldn't make sense that anyone would have people thronging them unless they've heard about the miracles that he's performed. So it says, much people thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, 
and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, Romans ten seventeen says. So it says, when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment, for she said. Now remember the principle of Mark eleven twenty three, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Well, obviously the mountain that she's speaking to or the mountain that she's concerned with is the incurable condition of sickness, this issue of blood that she's had for 12 years. So when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment, for she said, because she said. She heard, she said, and she acted. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Please notice something, folks. She didn't feel anything until after she had heard and spoken her faith and then acted in accordance with it. Then it tells us she felt something go out of Jesus and into her. Now, Jesus understands that this is something supernatural that's taking place. Verse 30, it says, And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue, literally it's the word power, had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And notice verse 34. Jesus said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now, you know as well as I do that it was the power of God that went out of him and into her that healed her. The Bible says so. But notice Jesus does not credit the power as the healing agent. He credits her faith. Now, put yourself in a position that this woman was in for a moment. She's had this condition for 12 years. She's spent everything she has. With many different doctors. She's had second, third, fourth, fifth, twelve opinions. I don't know how many. I guess however many doctors she could get to. In that day. And nothing that anybody did. Helped in any way whatsoever. Now the Bible says. Telling us about the law of Moses. Or the, the information given to us in the law of Moses. Would identify this woman's condition. As an impure condition. An impurity of the flesh. And it would put her in the same category as a leper. Which would mean that if a leper was coming down the road. And there was a crowd of people uh, coming toward him. He would be obligated. Under threat of stoning. To cry out. Unclean. Unclean. To make everybody within earshot aware. That he has an unclean condition. Now most of the time in those situations. One of two things would take place. Either people would turn around and go the other way so that they don't have to be close to him. Or they'd take rocks and throw at him and make him go another way. And if a leper or somebody with an issue of blood like this woman was found in the middle of a crowd. Not shouting unclean, not notifying people. But exposing them because of their lack of knowledge. To whatever unclean or impurity of the flesh they had, leprosy, issue of blood, whatever, then they could, and oftentimes were, stoned on the spot and killed. Now, this woman knows this. She's had this condition for 12 years. Being considered unclean 
to be in the presence of other people is not a new condition for her, a new situation for her. She knows what she's required to do. She knows the penalty of not acting according to what the law of Moses requires her to do. This is a life and death situation for this woman in way more than just one, one way. This is life and death for her, not just according to the issue of blood, but how she conducts herself with the crowd. So what kind of preparation would she have to make to pull off what she did? It says, when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind, in the middle of the throng, middle of the multitude of people. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. If I can just touch his clothes, I'll be whole. If I can just touch his clothes, I'll be whole. Most people, I dare say, in that time as well as the present time, would have looked at the obstacle or the hindrance or the trouble of putting her life at risk by being stoned because she didn't obey the law of Moses as enough reason to sit on the side of the road somewhere and hope that Jesus passed by. But remember the principle of faith, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, she's not praying. I'm not saying that Mark 11:24 applies to her because there's no prayer uh, as such being made or being answered. But the principle of faith is the same, whether it's spoken word, the words you speak to the mountain or the problem or the condition, or a prayer that you pray unto the Father. The principles of faith are the same. This has to do with her belief, not anybody else's. It has to do with what she desires of the Lord and what she's willing to do to have that need or met, that need or that desire met according to her faith. I'm sure she played this over and over, planned this for some time. We don't know what kind of time period is involved, but I am certain that the devil didn't leave her alone when she was trying to think of what to do. I'm certain that the devil dealt with her just the same way he does with you and me and showed us all the problems with her plan. And in her case, they're not just problems. It's a life and death issue. So what'd she do? She decided that what she had heard of Jesus And I I have to believe that since faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, I have to believe that Jesus, she had heard of Jesus healing people just through the physical touch. Whether specifically she's heard of people being healed by touching his garment or not, that I don't know. But that's what her faith's in. Her faith is in making physical contact with Jesus when she begins to say, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. That tells me that she's heard of people being, t- being healed by touching Jesus or vice versa. Jesus reaching out and touching her, them, laying hands on them or whatever the case might be. But physical contact is the issue. That's what she has faith in. So that has to be what she's heard. If she had heard that Jesus was baptizing people in water and they were coming up out of the water healed, then she wouldn't have faith to touch his clothes, would she? Her faith, or the faith that was produced has to be in line with what she believed. That's the only basis there is for faith. So it has to be from physical touch. So she chose to overcome all the obstacles 
the danger that she was putting herself in. Not to mention the difficulty. I'm not sure how this works exactly either, but I would imagine somebody that's had an issue of blood for 12 years is in a consistently weakened condition. And if the multitude is thronging Jesus, that means she's having to get in there and push and shove with everybody else and try to get to him. The picture that I get of this is something like one of these after Christmas sales at a department store where now we hear of people being beat up and beating each other up with trying to fight for whatever goods or clothes or whatever is available on the table. I'm sure that there were other other people with conditions of sickness and disease in this crowd. I'm not sure that there were other people that were in unclean conditions as her. Like she was. But there's got to be a reason that everybody's trying to touch him. Got to be a reason. If Jesus was in a multitude that's thronging him as they are. And she's the only sick person in that crowd. That's the first multitude that's ever got around Jesus with only one sick person. So it's possible in my thinking very likely. That there are people that are sick. Maybe people with just as dire of a condition. As the woman had. Doing the same thing that the woman with the issue of blood did. Reaching out and touching Jesus. And got no results. Got absolutely no results. But when she touched him. He knew something was different. He felt power go out of him and into her. She felt the power go out of him and into her. She felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. I wonder if she had, after she had made her plans, she gets to the place where the multitude is thronging Jesus or walking with him. She's doing everything she can to keep up with the crowd. uh, I would imagine that the crowd's moving kind of slow since everybody's reaching out and touching Jesus. So maybe she doesn't have difficulty keeping up. But she looks at the crowd and decides, if I'm going to get to Jesus, I'm going to have to do my own share of pushing and shoving. I wonder if the devil treated her the same way that he does you and me and tried to discourage her at that point saying, you'll never get to that crowd. You gave it a good try, but there's no point in even trying. You can't make it. Look at how strong and healthy those people are ahead of you that are reaching out to touch Jesus. The bottom line is simply this, folks. I'm sure she had opportunities to give up anywhere and everywhere along the way. Why didn't she? That's the issue. Why didn't she give up? Well, there's only one answer that would satisfy me. And that is, she had decided ahead of time that no matter what, no matter what it turned out to be, no matter how it looked, whether it was what she expected it to be or not, she decided and had done enough advanced preparation within her own heart concerning her own mind and her own will that she was going to make it to Jesus no matter what it took. And I would further suggest that if she had not made that kind of preparation, if she had not taken those things under consideration, that we wouldn't have this testimony of healing from the woman with the issue of blood. She decided somewhere along the way and steeled herself to it 
that no matter what this turned out to be, no matter how, how big this crowd was, no matter how strong the people in the crowd was, no matter how hard she had to fight to get through it, she decided long before she got there, I'll do whatever it takes. Here's my point. If she had not made advanced preparations, she wouldn't have gotten results. She decided what she wanted. Heard enough about Jesus to believe that she could have it. And went and got it. Can you see that? Turn with me over to another one. Look with me over to Mark, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 is telling us, beginning in verse 5, And when Jesus was entering into the Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, that means a Roman uh, military man, captain in the Roman army. There came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and the west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom, the Jewish people, shall be cast out into the outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. What was it about this centurion that distinguished him and his faith in such a way that Jesus marveled at the measure of it. Well we know why he believed what he did. He's had experience with giving orders. Giving and receiving orders. There were those in the military. The Roman army that were above him. That gave him orders. And so he had to carry those out. He was responsible for carrying them out. And since those orders were given to him. And he has the responsibility for carrying them out. His superiors didn't have to look over his shoulder. To make sure he was doing it. He was responsible and he took care of it. And he understood from the position of giving orders to his, the soldiers under his charge, as well as his servants, he knew that that's the way authority worked. Authority works so that the individual doesn't have to even be present. But someone else can operate in their name or at their command and it's the same thing as if the centurion was really there. And folks, if you look at this in, uh, I think it's Luke's account, you'll find out that the centurion never talked to Jesus face to face. A servant went to talk to Jesus in the centurion's name. And he shared these things with Jesus. And Jesus marveled at his faith. Jesus marveled that someone understood, should have been the people of Israel, they should have learned through the law of Moses. They should have learned through the things that God had discussed with them as covenant partners, covenant people throughout hundreds of years. 
of, of the time when the law of Moses was in effect. But he didn't find that kind of faith anywhere except in the centurion. So what did the centurion do? The centurion prepared himself and his servant, the one that he sent in his place. He prepared himself and his servant through the knowledge of how authority is utilized and set in motion. He did his homework. Now, we don't know, and it would be interesting for me to know, but we don't know why exactly he sent to Jesus. We don't know what it was that he heard of him. It's possible, maybe likely, that he's heard things about Jesus for some period of time and from several different sources. It doesn't tell us like the woman with the issue of blood. When she heard of Jesus, she did something. She took action. This guy hears something about Jesus that convinces him that Jesus has authority over sickness and disease. Now, I don't know what that would be. There's nothing in the scripture that tells us. But from what the, the centurion, through his servant, sent word to Jesus about what he understood concerning authority, the use and the exercise of authority, he has to have come to the conclusion that Jesus is the one with authority over sickness and disease. So that all he needs, all the centurion needs, is for the one that has that authority, meaning Jesus, to speak the word, give a command. He doesn't have to be present. He doesn't have to be there for physical touch. But his word is good. His being Jesus' word is good to conquer sickness and disease long distance. And Jesus marvels. Jesus marvels. Now, what kind of preparation did the, 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 the centurion take concerning his faith so that his faith was affected? Well, we don't exactly know in its entirety. But we do know that he has prepared himself. And he has knowledge because of his rank. He has enough knowledge to be convinced that someone not even in close proximity to the person in need can exercise authority through the command of their, their words and see it come to pass. I love the way the Bible says it. The centurion or his servant says, speak the word only and my servant will be healed. Speak the word only. So that tells me that he's prepared himself to accept the word of God, the word of Jesus, the one who has authority over sickness and disease. All the centurion needs is for Jesus to say the word and it's as good as done. Now, what if he doesn't get instant results? See, a lot of people want to say that that's where they are in faith. But what about not if they don't get instant results? Is it necessary for the centurion to get instant results? To believe that the command of authority has been exercised and spoken. Now that's part of what Jesus is marveling at. See if he was looking for quick results. Then he would have said to Jesus. Yeah I've heard about you laying hands on the sick. Why don't you come to my house. The Jews have already identified the centurion. Has done a great service to the people of Capernaum. Because he built them the temple. The synagogue that they were meeting in. And the Old Testament promise of God is I'll bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you speaking of Abraham 
So this centurion, having done a kindness through the building of the synagogue or contributing to the building of the synagogue in Capernaum, is in a perfect place for Jesus to come and personally take care of his situation. And that's what Jesus attempts to do. Jesus says, I'll come. And the centurion speaks up and says, not necessary. Not necessary. Can you imagine any circumstance where Jesus has declared that he will come and fix your problem that you'd say, you don't have to come? I'm of the opinion that, at least in my case, no matter what I'm believing or what confidence I have in the word, I'd still want him to come. Wouldn't you? What could it hurt? But the centurion says, there's no need for you to come to my house. Speak the word only. Notice how he has prepared himself. And I, I, I say how he's prepared himself. Maybe I ought to add in there, look at how his position of authority in the Roman army has prepared him. To understand the authority of the spoken word. And Jesus marvels. I've not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Well, there's two examples of people that had done their preparation up front. And it contributed greatly to their success in receiving from God what they desired. Now look at the third one with me. Look at Matthew chapter 15. I love this one. Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21, it says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Now let me set this up a little bit. The the coast of Tyre and Sidon was outside of Judea. It was a place where Jesus did very, 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 very little signs and wonders and miracles. Very little works whatsoever. Jesus has gone to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And the, the two times that the Bible speaks of him going through or passing through the coast of Tyre and Sidon are times when he's trying to get away from everybody. He doesn't go there to minister. The reason he doesn't go there to minister is because it's not part of the Jewish land or territory. There aren't a lot of Jews that would be there. So he's not there on a ministry excursion. He's there to get away from the crowds. Notice it doesn't tell us anything about the disciples being with him. Which further suggests that he's going to try to get away. But as so often it happens... When you're trying to isolate yourself and get away, you run into somebody that needs help. And he ran into a woman that through the words she speaks that are recorded here in Matthew chapter 15 indicates that she knows who he is and believes he's the Messiah. When she says, O Lord, thou son of David, that's a messianic reference. The son of David is talking about the Messiah, the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah coming through the house of David. So when she says, O Lord, thou son of David, she's saying, I believe you're the Messiah. Now, I don't know why she believed that. We would have to assume that she's heard some things about Jesus and heard enough about things, enough things about Jesus to identify that only the Messiah could be you, the one that's doing that stuff. Performing those works. That makes sense. But we don't know for sure. But what we do know is that she indicates to Jesus that she believes who he is. 
Thou son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. And now notice what Jesus does. He acts a lot differently than what I think most people would have expected him to do. Verse 23, he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. So the disciples, or at least some of the disciples are there. But they're not there for the same reason that they were there for other places, most other places that he went. It's certainly not like it was when Jesus was in Capernaum. There's no crowd thronging him. There's nobody that knows where he is, apparently. And so the disciples say, Jesus, get rid of her. Isn't this just like the way it works? The disciples, for the most part, were there to observe and for crowd control. So the fact that the disciples are saying, Jesus, please get rid of her, tells me that they tried to get rid of her and and couldn't. And so now they're calling on Jesus to be the one to drop the hammer and tell her to get lost. But he answered, verse 24, and said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's not in the coast of Canaan, the coast of Tyre and Sidon where he is. He said, I'm not sent to the people here. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not meet or right or appropriate to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Now, is anybody willing to bet that she expected to hear something like that from him? She's probably thinking, oh, the Messiah has come. I know some things that the Bible says, the Old Testament says, about when the Messiah comes. One of the things that Malachi said was that he would rise, arise with healing in his wings. Well, this guy sure is healing everybody wherever he goes. Look at how great this is for me and for my daughter. We can get her the help that she needs. And Jesus says, I'm not sent to you. So she falls down before him and worships him. You'd think that would do it. She says, Lord, help me. And then he says, it's not right to take the children's bread. The healing power that I've been sent to, do, to, to minister to the people of, Jew, of Israel and in Judea. It's not right to take that healing power. And give it to somebody that's outside the heirs or the children of Abraham. And Jesus speaks of her in the derogatory manner that the rest of the Jews would have. The Jews considered themselves God's chosen people and everybody else were dogs. And Jesus says what would be considered a racist statement today certainly politically incorrect in a lot of ways. He says it's not right or appropriate to take the children's bread. The healing power of God belongs to the Jews. To take that healing power and to cast it to dogs. But this woman will not be deterred. And she says, truth, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall for the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you even as you will. 
And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now here's what I want to ask you to consider. How much of this interaction that's recorded in Matthew 15 did the woman expect? Is she thinking I'm going to go to Jesus and he's not going to answer me first. The disciples are going to try to get rid of me. And then when I ask him for help. And he says he's only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then I'll fall down on my face and worship at his feet. Saying Lord help me. And then when he says, no, it's not right to take the healing power of God that was sent for Jesus to use among the people of Israel and bestow that on people that are Gentiles. Anybody willing to bet that she had any inkling whatsoever that any of those things were going to take place? Is that the reception she thought she was going to get? Or would she have imagined in her thinking the same thing that I would? And that is when Jesus sees my need because he's the Messiah and God is good, that he'll just do whatever he can to help me. I want you to see how prepared she is. I don't believe in any way whatsoever that she's winging it. I don't believe that she's trying to get in some witty batter with Jesus and convince him in some way. But she is so prepared with the knowledge that the healing power was bestowed upon Jesus. That when Jesus ministers to people, they get well. She was so prepared that when she ran into obstacles that came from the most, in my thinking, the most unlikely source possible, which was Jesus himself. She was still prepared to prevail. When Jesus said, daughter, great is your faith, be it unto you even as you will. And her daughter was healed from that very same hour. I want you to realize that what Jesus had told her at first is still true. He wasn't sent to the Gentiles yet. First it was to go to the Jews. But her faith, the preparation that she's made, for anything and everything that happens, any possibility, she is so prepared that Jesus couldn't say no to her faith. And let me tell you something, folks. When Jesus couldn't tell her no then, he can't say no to faith then, couldn't say no to faith then, he can't say no to faith now. Her faith, the preparation that she made to exercise her faith, And to get what she wanted and needed for her daughter. Enabled her to cut in line from God's original plan. God's original plan was to minister to the Jews. Show himself to be the Messiah. Doing the works of the Messiah. To the Jews. And then after that, way after that. Provided for the Gentiles. And her faith cut her in line. She moved right to the front of the group. And Jesus said, daughter, great is your faith. Be it unto you even as you will. What obstacles are you prepared for when it comes to the operation of your faith? I would recommend to you that you don't just take a pie in the sky attitude. Saying, well, I'm just going to believe God and everything's going to go smooth as silk. I recommend that you prepare yourself whatever attacks the enemy could bring to you or against you in your situation 
so that you're ready to stand in faith and not waver. That's what made these people's stories outstanding. Every one of them was prepared for the absolute worst and willing to stand up to whatever obstacles arose because they would not be denied. That's a great place to be, folks. Too often times I have people come and they'll say, Pastor Mike, I want you to agree with me or I want you to pray for me or something, whatever the case is. Praying for the healing, praying for something on the job or whatever the case. And then they come back a week later and I'll ask them, well, what happened? How'd it go? And invariably, very often, not all the time, but pretty much all the time, They'll tell me about something that happened that threw a wrench in the works. Well, the doctor said this, or here's what happened on the job, or whatever the case is. And you can tell right off the bat that whatever it was that happened, whatever obstacle rose up, whatever hindrance appeared, threw them off their faith completely. They'll say things like, I don't understand it. I thought we were believing God. Folks, hindrances to your faith doesn't mean you're not believing God. It means you are. And you and I are going to have to be prepared for those things. We're going to have to be prepared for things taking longer than we expect them to. We're going to have to be prepared for things not looking the way that we thought it would look after we pray. We're going to have to be prepared for all of those things. Because the devil does not give up ground easily. But when we fulfill the, the principles... That Jesus told us about the God kind of faith. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, shall not say anything to the contrary. Now here's a question for us. How long do we hold our position in faith before we accept that it didn't work? If there's any period of time that you just said, well, after such and such or thought, after such and such a time, then I would accept that it didn't work. That's where you're going to begin doubting in your heart. And the devil knows, at that point, the devil knows all he's got to do is wait you out. But if we take the position that the word of faith was spoken, And according to the word of God, if we'll hold fast to it and believe in our heart and not doubt in our heart, not say anything to the contrary, but be strong in faith like Abraham was, looking unto the promise of God and giving him glory ahead of time before he saw the answer. If we'll take that position, then there's nothing that the devil can do. There's no hindrance. There's no obstacle. There's nothing the devil can do to keep your faith from working. I heard somebody say it this way once. If you're prepared to stand forever in faith, you won't have to. But how many of us are prepared to stand forever? One part of this that we can't control is when we get our answer. The part we can control is to believe that our words work as soon as they're spoken. To believe that we receive when we pray. I think the devil's got too many people hoodwinked and fooled. 
He's got people thinking that he has some kind of power that's greater than God's word spoken by your lips. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. When the word of faith is spoken, you can't ever go back on it. If it's real faith, if it was really from your heart that you speak the word of God, you can't ever go back on it, no matter what it looks like, no matter how it appears. That's what these three individuals did, and that's why they got supernatural results. They prepared themselves for the worst, encountered it, and overcame it. And you can too. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to walk by faith. It's such a privilege, Lord, to develop patience by standing in faith. So, Father, we count it all joy in the middle of our situation. We're prepared with the truth of your word. You're the one that said, Jesus, that nothing is impossible to the one who believes. Nothing is impossible to the person who believes. So no matter what it looks like today or looks like tomorrow, no matter what the devil says or what the doctor says, we believe the word that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we were healed. Therefore we say under the mountain of sickness and disease, be gone, be removed from our bodies in Jesus' name. We call sickness gone and we call our bodies healed in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you that that word of faith is active even now. And there's nothing, nothing that the devil can do to change it or to keep it from coming to pass because we've got your word on it, Father. So we count it all joy. We rejoice in the middle of the situation knowing that our outcome is settled. The results are certain. And we are assured that the healing power of God will raise us up. Thank you, Father, that nothing is greater than the power of your word. Your word spoken by our lips makes supernatural and even miraculous things come to pass body line up with the word of God in Jesus name you obey the word in Jesus name we believe we receive father and we give you glory it's so good to be healed thank you father it's an honor to prove out your word in our lives it's an honor to show the greatness of the power of your word to defeat sickness and disease to send it packing to cause it to be removed. Jesus did the work and we take advantage of it in 
in his name according to your word. We love you, Father. We thank you for the privilege to put your word to work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Is that prayer true for you? Amen. Then you need to know it may take a while. You may have to stand against some obstacles that you weren't expecting. But there's nothing the devil can do to keep it from coming to pass. If he could, he would. But he doesn't have that kind of power. He's not in the same class as the power of God's word. Ever. Amen. Thank you for being with us.